Okay, good, good afternoon, everyone. Not morning anymore. Uh, good afternoon. I'd like to welcome everyone who is watching and following along with this edition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call Interview Series. Uh, as always, I'm Will Driscoll, the Executive Director here at the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. I hope everyone is enjoying the beginning of what we always term the festive season. Um, as always, before we get started, I'd like to thank our partners here at the Hall of Fame that help make Hall Call and everything that we do possible. Priority Automotive, the City of Virginia Beach, Optima Health, ESPN Radio 94.1, Davcon Inc., and of course, our friends at the Hampton Roads Sports Commission. Well, let's jump right into it. In 1990, a football game took place right here in the Commonwealth of Virginia that would become part of ACC history when number one Virginia took on number 16 Georgia Tech. At the time, it was a chance for the Cavaliers, the undefeated Cavaliers at the time, to keep their national championship hopes alive. And it was a chance for Georgia Tech, the visitors, to kind of push their name into that conversation. What ended up taking place has now been called one of the greatest games in ACC history and some term it one of the greatest games in college football history, although Georgia Tech did pull out the 41-38 victory that day with the field goal in the final seconds. Uh, the game itself has now become the subject of a new ACC network documentary titled We're Number One, the story of 1990 ACC football. And today we're thrilled that we get to talk to somebody who was a part of that game right in the middle of that college football classic. 2010 inductee, Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee, Herman Moore. Moore is a Danville native, All-American wide receiver at the University of Virginia, and an All-Pro for the Detroit Lions, among many other accolades. As you can see, Herman's on the screen. Herman, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. As well, it's my pleasure. Thank you again for having me. I look forward to uh, speaking with you. Wonderful. Well, those of you who are on social media and Twitter, you can follow Herman on Twitter at HMAN84, back to his old Jersey days in, uh, in Detroit. And obviously, if you have any questions, this is on our Facebook Live. Uh, so feel free to, to shoot them over to us and we'll try to get them up on the stream. But, uh, but let's jump right into it. Growing up in Danville, what was your impression of ACC football in the, in the early to mid 80s? Well, to be very candid and to be honest, I, because I was so far south, I was basically from Danville. We sit on the border of Virginia and North Carolina. So I was much closer to like Duke and North Carolina, North Carolina State. So I knew more probably about those guys. I knew a lot about Maryland uh, because there were a couple of uh, Virginia, uh, George Washington High School, Danville uh, grads, uh, the Covington uh, guys, Alan Keita Covington, and then Farrell Edmonds uh, had gone there. And at the time, we didn't have uh, uh, Virginia Tech inside of the ACC, but uh, that was the only other school outside of it that I knew, but I didn't know a ton about it. Uh, I heard about the University of Virginia, but at that point had not had experienced anyone who had gone there uh, out of Danville. Well, yeah, and your journey to Virginia, you know, we, we always see the finished product of the players. As fans, we see the finished product. We see the all-pro receiver in Detroit, the all-American in Virginia, but it's not like you were this football prodigy either, you know, on, on your, on your journey to Virginia, you know, you, you weren't even a regular starter on your high school team till your junior senior year. So how was Virginia the final destination on the recruiting trail? Well, that journey itself was, uh, was, was a, a story and one that if I wanted to, there's no way to replicate. I uh, was primarily known for being a basketball player I was our starting kicker. Uh, I, I did tight end work for us, played a little bit of secondary, at, you know, spot duty here and there. But for the most part, uh, being the kicker was my, my thing. And um, it wasn't until really my senior year I really got on the radar of any university. Uh, I, was I was primarily being recruited for track and field because I was a seven, 
plus foot high jumper. So I got, I had scholarship offers from all over the nation. Coincidentally, it was, we were playing a game in, in uh, Virginia in uh, Danville and Tom Sherman, who eventually ended up being my receivers coach was there watching his son who played for Albemarle County. And um, it, my coach put me in for, to knock down a Hail Mary pass. And instead of knocking it down, I ended up intercepting it. And when I did that, it kind of got his notice. And then he, he basically asked my coach who he was friends with Ed Martin, uh, if I was being recruited around the state. And he says, no, he's, you know, basically our kicker. He's not really seeing any scholarships. He's more track and field. He said, hey, I like to see if he'd like to take a visit to the University of Virginia. And then that's what got the ball rolling. Once they gave me an, an offer, all these other schools started to send me uh, opportunities to come to their, their school to do a visit. And the rest is history. So it was all off of that one play that I got the, um, the attention of Tom Sherman at the University of Virginia and eventually became my receivers coach. One play where you didn't even do what you were asked to do. You did the exact. Opposite. I did. I, I just. Uh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't do what I was supposed to do at that moment. And I would have to say, typically, I'm pretty good at following instructions. Uh, but uh, that was one time. I'm actually glad I, I kind of went against the grain a little bit. Well, <laughs> that, that's great. Uh, you know, kind of talk about George Welsh because it, it's no secret that before his arrival, Virginia football wasn't exactly you weren't you weren't thinking that Virginia was going to be number one playing a, another ranked team for you know in, in a national in national championship conversation. You know, talk about Welsh, what his influence was, kind of who he was as a coach, and a, and why that why he helped kind of draw you into the University of Virginia. You know, when I first arrived at UVA, uh, Sean Moore was my host for recruiting. Uh, I didn't really get to know a lot of people because of my academic standing at the time of graduating from George Washington High School in Danville. I had to take summer prep classes just to make sure I was ready and acclimated for UVA because of the, the tough academic standards and everything that was going on there. Um, but Coach Welsh was this person when I met. He, he didn't talk much. He very seldom ever smiled. I mean, this was a guy you had to earn a smile from. And the only way you did that is by going out and doing something good. You, you had to stand out. You had to go over and beyond the ordinary. And at basic minimum, you, you, you had to be your best. And uh, over the years, I, I got to know him. We had some run-ins quite a bit. That's a whole nother tale. And where he, in, in fact, at one point kicked me off the football team uh, because we didn't see eye to eye on some things. And I, I was a little bit problematic, but to his credit, he saw something in me that perhaps I didn't see and he demanded it. He was demanding it out of me. And because of his resilience, um, he didn't allow me to cut corners. So anyone who, who ever had an opportunity to meet this man, he, he was all about discipline. He was all about hard work. He was all about team. And I think that came from his military background. That came from the fact that he grew up in that kind of environment. And that was his fabric. Uh, but I appreciated that. And that ultimately became the culture of Virginia football. And that became the culture of the players who came through that, that school and through that athletic program as being the standard. Yeah, you know, I don't want to digress too much, but you mentioned that story about him kicking you off the team. And I actually read about that story on Jerry Ratcliffe's website. Um, so if you get the chance, go to Jerry Ratcliffe's website. It's a good story. It, it comes down to either throwing or bringing the ball back. <laughs> Correct? That's it. That was it. You know, it, I, without, without giving it away, you know, he just asked me, it was a pass that was thrown out to me that didn't quite make it from the line of scrimmage. 
and I walked by it and then uh, instead of I picked it up and I threw it back to the huddle he told me not to throw it back he said run it back and I had a I don't know if I was having a bad day. He was having a bad day. And ultimately he says, if you're not going to do things I asked you to do, get out of here. And I basically said, bye. <laughs> and, um, but then I realized where the power and who really had the ability to stay and who had the ability to go. And uh, like I said, fair man, he was, he and I became extremely close. And I would say um, the relationship and the bond that we ended up having through my ten my tenure there. And uh, it was, it was life-changing. And it was it was forever. That that's great. And you know, you, you mentioned the culture. You used the term culture in, in one of your answers about two questions ago. But that culture, you know, you you were really a part of the ascent of Virginia football with yourself, Sean Moore, Chris Slade, Terry Kirby, and others. Um, when did you all know that this group was potentially a special group? You know, I think when when I we, we started looking at, I think in 1988. Uh, we started to see that this team had some talent. Uh, we had some really good core of uh, veteran or, or our upperclassmen. I want to go back to my, my days at uh, Detroit, but our upperclassmen and some of our grads, they were really the leaders. Um, we had uh, both the offensive line. We had them in the secondary. We had it uh, in the receiving unit and at quarterback. And when you can have that depth of leadership on the field, and then you go off the field, you have the discipline and you have the competence at the uh, coaching level and the accountability. You can't help but, I think, turn out something special. But, you know, to your point, I think when Terry Kirby and Nikki Fisher, uh, Chris Slade and that group started to come in, they start to backfill the efforts of what we did up front to start to attract good talent. And when that talent, you start to recruit and you start to attract uh, talent that is the the the, the uh, freshmen and the sophomores. That's how you start to build legacy in a program. And for us, we start to see that. And they came in right away and they produced. So I, I say it had to be during their tenure. And when they came in, uh, that really solidified us for a period of time. You know, and at this point, we're looking at the late '80s. But you know, to your point earlier, ACC football, ACC was a basketball conference. I mean, now you were going into the game in 1990 or the season in 1990. You're nine years removed from Clemson winning a national title, but the only other ACC title before that was Maryland in 1953. So we're not talking the SEC. Um, you know, looking at the ACC as a whole, though, what was the national perception that you guys got a sense of as players on on Virginia? was exactly that. People thought we were more just a basketball conference, uh, thought that this was just a, a uh, the ACC was just comprised of some really nationally recognized and very, uh, you know, you start looking at the coaches, you had Dean Smith, you had Coach K, you, you look at uh, Wake Forest. I mean, even with Terry Holland and, and the University of Virginia and uh, Lefty Drizel and I mean, you had some coaches, they were nationally known. They, they weren't just known on the East Coast or throughout the ACC. Uh, but then we started to see that there were some really talented individuals. Uh, you didn't have the talent at the team level, but you had the individual talent level throughout the ACC. And because of that, it hadn't all really circled in and kind of hit home, I think, on the national level. You would see us in the rankings uh, in the individual categories, and occasionally a team may crack in there in scoring or uh, or on a defensive side, but it wasn't until we started to go to the bowl games and we started to really knock out a lot of these national teams 
that the ACC started to really be one to be reckoned with. Going into that 1990 season, you you were defending co-champs. You split it with Duke. I mean, not necessarily a traditional powerhouse in Duke, but you still were the co-defending champs. What were the expectations for the Virginia football team heading into that 1990 season? Wow. Um, basically, bus to go home. It, it we came in with a swagger that was unbelievable. We came in with one in which we were going to beat the respect out of people. And I say that respectively uh, because we, we really felt that not only the, the University of Virginia, but the ACC definitely was, was, was looked down upon. Uh, we looked at Notre Dame, we saw Penn State, we faced some of those other ones. And even though Clemson was considered that powerhouse and that juggernaut, people still didn't see us as being that team. And so somehow we kept getting left out, even though we were co-champs. So we wanted to make sure we left no doubt. And as we started to start the season, uh, we really got, we caught fire and we stayed on fire. And, uh, and then we were putting up a lot of points, number one offense in the country. Uh, we had Sean Moore, who now became on the, the national uh, radar for the Heisman. And then as a team, I mean, we started to ascend. So it was, um, we had a lot, we had a lot of expectations that year, but that was something that had been culminating over all, all those years. Well, let, let's jump into the game. As I mentioned, we're talking to Herman Moore, 2010 Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee, and we're talking to him about the ACC Network documentary, We're Number One, the story of ACC, 1990 ACC football with the focus on the number one Virginia versus number 16 Georgia Tech game. Um, you know, you have this game, you're ready to play. And a lot of times we hear football players or just players in any sport say, you take it one game at a time. You don't treat any game differently. Were you able to do that for this game? We were. Uh, I will have to say we had just a score of confidence. It, it wasn't a game where we felt if we played our best and if we did what we were supposed to do on all phases of the game, offense, defense, special teams, that there would be no doubt we should win the football game. And while Georgia Tech was ranked 16, uh, we knew that they possessed a lot of talent. We knew defensively they were a tough team. We knew offensively they had weapons uh, in the running game, the passing game. Uh, so we knew we had we were evenly matched as it relates to the ability to win the game. But as long as we played better, we felt we would be the, the superior team. We did that in the first half. And then ultimately, um, I think we just did not play. And everything and everything that could have gone wrong for us in the second half did. And although it did, we still kept the game very close and that allowed them to kind of get back into it. But, uh, you know, that was that was probably the most disappointing game, uh, I would say, in my football career, because it was it was the pathway was there uh, for us. And to ascend and to get to number one, it was a long time in the making. It wasn't something that had occurred just that season. It was it occurred over time. And um the team that had come together and the recruiting classes that have come together, it's a lot of work that had been put in to make sure we were ready and prepare for that moment. And um, it was a tough one, but it was, it was an epic game though. I will say that. Well, the game almost didn't happen. You know, uh, well, I would yeah. say almost didn't happen. One of the things that the documentary touches on is the fact that uh, there were some pranks that happened overnight at Scott stadium and somebody lit the oh, yeah. Asherfield turf on fire. Uh, when did you find out about that? Or did the players even know about that? Uh, we found out at pregame, though, that 
they had having to repair the uh, mid part of the field or something like that because someone had gotten in and vandalized it and set it on fire. Of course, we we automatically said it had to be someone from uh, tech side, from Georgia Tech. <laughs> Which uh, tech? Who knows? Yeah, you know, right. It could have been either, right? Uh, but we, we, are, we felt that the game has to go on. We didn't care if we had to go and play it somewhere else. We were going to play this game. And I just think about the, the, the atmosphere. I think about the student section. I think about just how hard it was to get tickets and they limited us to how many tickets you could get even if you were purchasing tickets so it was it was a completely packed place and um the greatest game that i had played there in terms of just what it meant and just the emotion that was around it and um just the way the town itself prepared for it the students i mean it's we truly became at that moment um what we saw at the SEC and we saw on the national TV, we were actually experiencing that at Scott Stadium uh, in prime time. So it was it was a beautiful day. You know, you, you mentioned that the tickets were limited, but by some accounts, there were 7,000 people more than the actual stadium capacity. So I don't know if the fire marshal knew it at that point. <laughs> I don't know where those people came from. I think someone <laughs> just was counting wrong. They didn't go to UVA. <laughs> They, they didn't they didn't they, they need to go to a, a higher academic school to be able to get the count right <laughs> that's right when when you're watching this documentary and you're seeing your former teammates talk in that little round table at the end you know what memories does that conjure up for you i mean you you've already mentioned twice in this conversation that it's the greatest game that you've ever played in I and mean, it was also the most disappointing loss but what other emotions get conjured up when you watch uh kind of the replay of that game you know, I, I remember just going through a tough week of practice mentally. It wasn't so much the physical part. It was just making sure that we were assignment sound, making sure that we were sure and certain uh, about any and all circumstances and situations. The game itself is not, and for those who haven't played sports, the game itself is not where you, you're nervous. You're only nervous if you haven't prepared. You're nervous if things haven't gone well in that week of preparation. But when things go well, the excitement and the anticipation you can't wait till the game kicks off so that you can now take and put that into motion and that's what i saw um in the faces of my teammates that's what i i i just you could feel coming through in terms of the energy of the locker room there was a tremendous amount of focus uh there was a, a overwhelming amount of confidence but not cockiness or 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 us think being complacent it was just we were certain that we were at the right time, at the right moment, at the right place uh, with the right team. And um, that's what I remember. When I see those guys having their round table and they're talking about it, you, you try and capture a lot of that moment uh, in conversation. I thought it was great to hear what the Georgia Tech players were thinking, uh, Marco Coleman, uh, Ken Swilling and Sean Jones, uh, to be sitting there with our guys, with Terry Kirby and Sean Moore and Chris Slade uh, who all had tremendous impacts on the game and to hear what each team were, was thinking about the other and and they were just as confident as we were but i, I think that uh, to their to their credit i think they they obviously weathered the storm uh, that came at them fast and furious and, and for us um it, it's a memory that we look back and you think about and you, you wish it would have been a little different 
You know, I, I think that as as sports fans and and just um, you know football fans in general, I think we really enjoy that look behind the curtain. Even though it's 31 years later, to be able to hear from six people at least in that roundtable, and then others throughout the documentary, and really get a sense of what you were thinking and the players were thinking on the field is is just something that we all really enjoy. For you personally, though you had a game that was the stuff of legend, you know, nine catches, 234 yards and a touchdown. Where were you physically and mentally headed into that game? Were you, were you prepping yourself for a game like that? I I was because at that time uh, there started to be a little chatter about me entering into the Heisman uh, part. Uh, There was a lot being spoken about from a statistic standpoint, and this wasn't for me, but I had to hear it all the time. You know, you're ranked, here as a white, you know, as one of the top receivers in the nation, there's chatter and, and, and talk about uh, the NFL and my opportunity to go and play at the next level. Uh, but then just looking at the game itself, it started to, you, when you start to get paired up and saying, okay, keys to the game is more to more against, you know, Ken Swilling and, you know, basically a, a, a linebacker playing safety and this, this Georgia Tech defense and, uh, they started talking about, you know, which players were going to do what. And, and if the game was going to be won, it had to be won in these certain phases of the game. And that week of practice meant that I could not let off the pedal. Um, I came in on a personal side because there had been some chatter and some some trash talking back and forth on how Ken Swilling was going to shut me down and and that he was going to, you know, wait till I come over the middle and all this stuff. He was going to blow me up and all this stuff. And, you know, I take that kind of personal. I'm a very competitive player. And in that game, you can see my emotion after pretty much every catch that it spoke to me basically answering the bell. And I think it's those individual moments you have to have to make your team better, but you have to bring it and do it within that team concept. And for me, it was like, you know what, I'm going to be the best wide receiver on the field today. And because the University of Virginia is going to feel the best wide receiver that plays for the best offense, that's playing with the best quarterback. You know what I mean? So it's it was that kind of mentality. And um, man, I just when you, you make me think back about it. It's just there's a lot of memories that come out of that. But out of the, the biggest part of that was that game meant so much to us that when we lost, it's like it took the wins out of our sale because it was it was national championship or go home. That's where our mentality was. That's how big of a deal it was. That's how big we knew we could be in that the ACC had arrived. Uh, so that's, I mean, it, it, we shouldn't let down and let off the gas pedal because of a loss, but that's the mentality we had. We should be winning the championship. We should be the, the national champion at the end of this whole thing here. And as, as fate would have it, you know, the, the bad side of fate, it's the, the team that won ended up winning that split national championship later in the season. So that, that can't make the sting feel any better. It didn't make it feel better, but I will say this, and and this is what should be appreciated about, uh, I think, the camaraderie and the the togetherness of the ACC. We said we hope that Georgia Tech wins at that point because you want them to represent the ACC. We want them to know that we lost to the eventual national champions and that we come from a conference and we come from a place where – there is talent. There is some of the top talent, not just here on this level, but when they make it to the next level and being in the NFL, that's, that's where we started to really see people take notice, especially when they started, they spanked Nebraska and they started beating up on other teams. We had already taken down Penn state, 
you know, and I perceive, you know, Clemson being the, the tough one in our conference, you know, we, we started walking through these teams. And uh, so it was, it was good to see that they, they finished the, the, their destiny and ultimately became number one. I wish it would have been us, but uh, nonetheless, I'm, I'm glad that our conference um, ended up being the one that came out on top though. When you hear Terry Kirby say that that one game put ACC football on the map, do you agree with that? Um, I, I think it puts it on a, on the map, but I think there there's legacy that happens before that. I think we are able to take what others start to the finish. Um, I think it's a combination of all those things. Uh, the ACC has been there. The ACC has had his, its national presence known. As it relates to football, I think we brought an entertainment value that was there, but Georgia Tech ultimately had to still finish it out. If Georgia Tech doesn't win the national championship, then it's all for naught. You know, I don't, I don't know necessarily without that number one title that the ACC would still be the same. Georgia Tech would have just been another team that beat a, a really strong ACC team, but hey, neither one are really good enough to compete at the national level. So I, I agree in the sense that it brought attention to pay attention to these teams and the talent level that we bring. Uh, but the game itself, I think, was one of a lot of magical games that have happened in the ACC. So I'll get you out of here on this question. And th this, this is this a personal question, but the Commonwealth Cup is in a couple of weeks. What's your prediction? <laughs> Virginia, I mean, UVA. I mean, that, that you know, and, and it's still what's crazy, Will, is that inside of all these things, you ask me at all these different times in these places, and we won't, we won't bore the audience with it. But, you know, I have a Virginia Tech story, too, because eventually, you know, originally I signed, not signed, but I did a verbal commitment to, um, go to Virginia Tech, and that became a whole sore spot for all my years at UVA with the uh, Tech <laughs> fan base and the student body. So maybe we'll, we'll come back and join that one if you want. But yeah, that was a that was a story in itself too. Frank Beamer was a guy though. I I, I love Frank Beamer, uh, great coach, legendary coach. Um, and uh, if I didn't play for Coach Welsh, it would have been great to play for him. Uh, but ultimately, I played for the best. You know, it's funny, the year that Coach Beamer went into the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame was 2018, and, and then that same class was Thomas Jones. And Thomas mm -hmm. is from Big Stone Gap, so even further west than Blacksburg, but they're sitting up on stage, and, and Coach Beamer just looks at him and says, I can't believe you drove past my campus all those years to go to that other campus. So there are stories like that all throughout the Virginia-Virginia Tech rivalry in the years of history. So we're always happy to talk about those, and that might be a good idea for another one of these hall calls in the future. Oh, absolutely. But it's always going to be go who's. Anytime That's we got the cup, it's always go who's, who's nation. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's everything Wahoo. So there you go. That's great. Well, I love hearing that. Um, and I, sure, I know that the, the Cavaliers fans out there love hearing that as well. But one thing, you know, I'm taking away from this is 31 years later, regardless of the result, there's a clear sense of pride that you still take in that game and, and with your teammates and being on the field that day. And I'm happy that we were able to kind of tell that story a little bit more. And, and if you haven't gotten the chance yet, please watch the documentary on the ACC Network. Uh, it's really well done. And like I said, it kind of pulls back the curtain just a little bit. So, Herman, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. And again, thank you for having me. And I thank everyone who joined in to, um, to participate and listen today. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And again, you can follow Herman on Twitter at HMAN84. He does a ton of stuff with the Lions, a lot of charitable work, good things to follow. Uh, so please, if you get a chance, please follow him on Twitter. Again, watch The Weird Number One, the story of 19 ACC, 
1990 ACC football on the ACC network. I'd like to thank everyone who tuned in and who will listen to this once we put it into the podcast form. Uh, as always, our partners, Priority Automotive, the City of Virginia Beach, Optima Health, ESPN Radio, Davcon Inc., and of course, the Hampton Road Sports Commission. We couldn't do this without you. Be sure to follow the hall on all of our social platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at VA Sports HOF. Once again, I'm Will Driscoll with the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, and whatever you do, participate, don't spectate.